Harry, where have you been? Hermione squeaked. We won. You won. We won, shouted Ron, thumping Harry on the back. And I gave Malfoy a black eye. And Neville tried to take on Crabbe and Goyle single-handed. He's still out cold, but Madame Pomfrey says he'll be all right. Talk about showing Slytherin. Everyone's waiting for you in the common room. We're having a party. Fred and George stole some cakes and stuff from the kitchens. Never mind that now, said Harry breathlessly. Let's find an empty room. You wait till you hear this. What's up, potheads? Welcome to the restricted section, in which a bunch of nerds with potty mouths reread the Harry Potter series for the umpteenth time and discuss how the story and its themes have stayed with a generation into adulthood. Thank you for listening. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry, we did it for you. Here's what we are talking about today. In this exciting, expedited example of the exploration and extraction of exposition, the terrific trio are together after Christmas break. We effectively establish an equitable and essential equation for the ratio of Neville's to Draco's. A quite quick Quapolis Quidditch match takes place, and a clandestine correspondence of creeps is covertly caught. How's everybody doing today? Doing well. Oh, just grand. Yeah, we do. The, we record these on Wednesday, so it's always kind of like you really feel the weight of the week. But also, that's why we release them on Wednesday, to help you just push through the rest of the week. Let's do a quick roll call. Who's in the house today? I'm your host, Christina. And what I want to hear from you guys today is if you, okay, so if you were a wizard and they were writing a chocolate card about you, what is like one muggle world lie you would like sneak in there? So for example, if I was getting a chocolate card written about myself, I would ask them to put on it that I once won a hot pepper eating contest. No one's going to know. They're not going to fact check that. And the wizards are going to be like, what the fuck? That's pretty great. I'm Andrew. If I had to make up a lie, I think I would have to go with, uh, do you know those contests where you like put your hand on the car and whoever's the last person with their hand on the car wins the car? Yeah, I think I would go with it. I won one of those. What sitcom was that in? I know I've seen. I was that gonna before. say it's. Oh, it's definitely been in a bunch. A, yeah, it's a like plot device of at least <laughs> like at least one time on every single sitcom. I'm Mary Clay, and I would want my lie to be that I won the national script spelling bee at some point in my life. I always prided myself on my excellent spelling skills. And one time I made it to the school, like the school round of the spelling bee, because our schools would do, you do it first in your class mm-hmm. and then you go to the school and then the cat, et cetera, et cetera. And Ooh. in sixth grade, I got out on the word marathon and it has haunted me. So I would like them to put that I won the national script spelling bee. Well, I'm sure that the wizarding world has the concept of spelling, but the word spell means a couple things. Ooh, that's true. I didn't think about that. (laughs) What's everybody drinking today? I'm drinking some white wine. I don't know what kind of wine it is. It, It doesn't say like, it just says Blanco, which is Italian for white. So 
It's also Spanish for white. Oh, yes. But I think, I, well, the reason I said Italian is because I'm pretty sure the rest of the bottle is in Italian. It's wine. Yeah. I'm drinking a Blackberry Truly, or not Blackberry, Black Cherry. I think the last time I was on, I was also drinking a Truly. I have had nice. other drinks since then. <laughs> <laughs> um, this bitch this is only drinks Side note, of all the hard seltzers, Truly is the best one. White Claw, okay, but Truly has the best flavor, I think, except I don't, li- I don't like the Black Cherry. It co- that comes in like the berry variety pack. Um, black cherry just tastes like bad memories for me. So I have a very comprehensive mental spreadsheet of the different seltzer drinks because every company is coming out with their own these days and mm. their flavor and their price and their um, sugar and calorie content. <laughs> and right now my favorite one is the Corona brand one that they just released this year. It's very good and it has less sugar than the rest. Wow, good move by Corona. Great I know, right? We'll, totally. we'll, have to, we'll have to talk once we're, we'll, we'll talk later about that chart. Okay. I want right. to see your ranking. <laughs> Corona seltzer, will it spread? Sorry, that was a bad joke. <laughs> but I can actually add to this conversation because I have the Vizzy hard seltzer. Uh, I saw this for the first time today. I'd never heard of Vizzy before. So right now I'm drinking the hint of strawberry kiwi flavor <laughs> at least they don't lie but, they're like this is only a hint of flavor right that's what that's <laughs> I, what I, makes I got... people mad about seltzer they're like it doesn't even taste like lime and i'm like who cares you're getting drunk for drinking water fuck off <laughs> yeah i got the uh, variety pack of this though so only right now can i guarantee that it will be hint of strawberry kiwi it might change throughout the recording mm. listener so Christina, you might want this one on your spreadsheet because it's 100 calories and only one gram of sugar per can. That's the same as the Corona one, and I'm pretty sure that's what it truly has, too. Uh, Yes, that is true. It's all up here. I have them memorized. (laughs) And I'm also getting 2% of my iron. Oh, good. Wow, I'm so glad for you. Well, let's get into it. We're talking today about Chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel. And it starts with Harry Potter having some bad dreams. Oh, I hear a little kitty. Dante, shut up. I really hope that shows up in the recording because that was just like the perfect little meow. He has, okay, my girl, my my tiny girl cat sounds like she's been smoking cigarettes for 30 years. And my massive man cat has like the cutest little meow. Um... (laughs) Yeah, so Harry has some bad dreams. So the last chapter was the Mirror of Erised, right? Where he sees his parents oh. for the first time in his life, probably. Um, and now he's being haunted by these dreams of them dying. It's the scene that we see in different ways throughout the rest of this series, um, the green light flashing, right? And yes. so why do you guys think he is starting to have these dreams now? It has to do with Voldemort being in the back of Quirrell's head. Because the very first dream that we got was of the turban that Quirrell's wearing going crazy and like eating him or something like that, I think it was. And now, once again, we've got more dreams and we will continue to have dreams. And if you had told me when I was 11 that I would be reading about another boy's dreams for a majority of my life, I probably would not have believed you. But Mm -hmm. this is a continuing theme that will be there for the rest of the whole series. Yeah, definitely dreams play Uh, a lot into it. 
I also think it's because now Harry has faces that he can put to his mother and father. Whereas before he just like, he didn't have any memories of them. He didn't even remember what they looked like. Right. So now it's something that he, that is, it's personal because in the mirror he saw himself and how he related to his mother and father and how he had his mother's eyes and how he had other you know, characteristics from his father. So now it's like being able to put a face to the problem, the, uh, not prop, the being able to put a face to this. It's a problem. Very vague. <laughs> being well, able to put a face to this very like sad, tragic thing that happened that he doesn't really have any memories of. Right. And like, that's what his brain is now trying to do is like, bring up these memories that he has where the only thing he can really say definitively about his parents is that like, Oh, they were killed by Voldemort. Well, and I think earlier it said something about him having dreams of a flash of green light. And he always thought that it had something to do with his, with the car crash. The car crash. That was like early on. Um, right. But I think you're right, Mary Clay. This is kind of like his brain filling in the details. Mm-hmm. So he started off with just having the memory of the flash green light, but now he's got more details. And as you fill in the details, it's like filling in one of those color by number pictures. It becomes much more vivid with each piece. I think another part of it also is that, you know, Harry's parents died when he was quite young. He never really lived a life with him that he has any memory of. So I feel like them being absent from his life was never really a loss. But I feel like now that he has seen them, it it feels like a loss to him. You know what I mean? What you both just said so much more eloquently than whatever I said that, yeah, that's exactly what I was. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those were my thoughts. <laughs> so, Poor Harry has some bad dreams and they never, ever, ever go away. (laughs) And eventually we'll get to Order of the Phoenix when they fuck him. (laughs) And then Hermione comes back from her winter vacation. Must be nice to have parents who love you. Yeah, so then we get kind of back into um, the, like, winter-spring term of school and Harry's really focusing on Quidditch because... Gryffindor needs to be Hufflepuff in the upcoming Quidditch match in order to overtake Slytherin in the rankings. Something about math and sports, the intersection of my two least favorite subjects. Well, and it interferes with schoolwork too, which I'm sure just really annoys you because the way that Hogwarts seems to work is that you can get points given and taken away for performance in class, obviously. But then we're also going to count the absurd number of points that you can get for performing in sports and also include that in the House Cup race. (laughs) So not only can Christina go in and really kick some butt, answer questions right, she got five points. Oh, and then that Saturday, the dude caught the snitch and got 150 points on his own. But hey, you did good too. Are you mistaking me for a Ravenclaw? Because I'm getting those five points for helping a crying friend, okay? <laughs> Literally, in, in the hallways of Hogwarts, I feel like if somebody's crying, they're like, oh, God, oh, God, who's a Hufflepuff? We need help. This girl's crying. I she need just, a puff. She just got dumped, and I, I'm coming with, like, muffins and a kitty cat, and I'm like, I got you. I got you. What's wrong? Where my puffs at? <laughs> 
I need a muffin and I'm allergic to cats, so I can't have kitty cats, but maybe some puppies. <laughs> okay, question. Do the Quidditch points actually go to the House Cup or is, I thought that was a separate thing that they win. It is a separate thing that they win. There's a Quidditch Cup and the House Cup. The Quidditch Cup and the House Cup are two different things. So do the Quidditch points go to the House points? So that was always my understanding, is that the points earned in the Quidditch matches go towards your House Cup points. So, for example, if the score of the Quidditch match is 200 to 130, the team that won would get 200 House Points. I could be wrong, but that's the way I always read it. Because I forget where exactly, but I thought that at some point it described that they needed to get a certain number of points to win the House Cup. Okay, this is from, like, the Harry Potter wiki. It is confirmed that a house gets points toward the house cup for Quidditch victories, although I don't believe it's specified if it's a set amount or if it varies depending on the game scores. So maybe there's, like, a base, a going rate for a Quidditch win, like 20 points for a win or something. And that is from some random person on the Harry Wiki. They do cite some, some examples, so... In the Prisoner of Azkaban, there's a quote that they pull that says, Gryffindor House, largely thanks to their spectacular performance in the Quidditch Cup, had won the House Championship for the third year running. So it is unknown what exactly that relationship is, but there is some relationship. Okay. So, yes, performing well in Quidditch does help you win the House Cup. And performing well in class helps you win the house cup and i just would really like to see being a great friend helping you win the house cup well i mean being a good friend does help a certain house at the end of this book win the win the house cup that's, that's true true so they're doing a lot of quidditch practice it's really high pressure because they need to beat hufflepuff and then they learn the worst snape is going to be refereeing the next match could only be worse if they were playing Slytherin. One of my favorite characters in the first couple books is Oliver Wood mm-hmm. because he's just like so the sexy. only thing he cares about is Quidditch. And he is just so desperately trying to wrangle this team of monkeys <laughs> and get them to a point where they could win a Quidditch match so he can finally win the House Cup. He's just so desperate to do this one thing well, and everyone else is like, Fred and George are, are, you know, running around being ridiculous and, you know, making a fool of themselves and wasting practice time and stuff. And he's just like, oh my God, can you just listen to me for like five minutes, maybe? Oliver Wood is kind of always mad. He's always either, like, so stressed that he, like, can't talk or, like, so furious that he can't talk. I played a lot of sports growing up, and I can tell you for a fact, I have met the Oliver Wood type person. That is a very real person who exists, um, that, like, personality type. And you're exactly right, Christina. They're always kind of, like, low-key pissed off because they really want to take it seriously. But in reality, it's something that doesn't really matter much. Like, it matters to you. And it matters at the time, but everyone kind of knows it doesn't really matter forever, but they don't. They truly, like, it is that important to them. And there is always a Fred and George in the room who <laughs> just completely 180 that and do not take it seriously. At all. I've seen this on basically every sports team I've ever been on. 
Yeah, I was um, Fred and George when I played soccer for three seasons. It's like, <laughs> you mean I have to run this whole time? Are you fucking kidding me? And now I run for no goddamn reason except my own health. Gross. Like a monster. Gross. I, hate every, I hate every minute of it. <laughs> it really is so ludicrous, the concept that Snape would referee a Quidditch match. In retrospect, we know why he did it. He did it to protect Harry. That's cool. That's nice of you. But do you think he volunteered? No. You think Dumbledore was like, hey, Severus, I need your help? A hundred percent. This is the beginning of us seeing, even though we don't realize it right now, but Dumbledore, one of his quirks, I'm going to call it a quirk, that stays with him through the books is that he knows that Snape is on his side. He 100% without a doubt knows in his mind that at the end of the day, he can trust Severus Snape. Weird choice to make. I, I would not have been I as sure know. if I, I were him. I, I kind of, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. And I, I know that you and I will probably not see eye to eye here because I am a very big pro Snape person. He, is an incredibly hurt person. We'll get there later on, but I am a very pro Snape person. And I think that this is little a prime baby example. Got a little of, heartbroken and ruined a child's life. Poor little baby. Lily, we love you. Do we oh, want to get into being this in the friend zone? Oh no, the friend zone. Oh no, it sucks in the friend zone. Why did it didn't so like is, you? Okay. I was so nice okay, guess, to you and I deserved to I guess we're going you. There. I guess we're going there. Okay. Let me start <laughs> off by saying, because this is going to be a few minutes. You brought it on yourself. Oh, Let me start off by no. saying, I do not think that Snape and the way that he reacts to a lot of these things, I don't agree with it, and I don't think I would react those ways. That being said, I can understand it. So Snape is someone who, growing up, lived in a shitty home life. He had a very bad relationship with his mother, and he finds a friend when he's young. Not only a friend, but in this regular muggle area, he finds another magical person. And what's this? They don't even know that they're magical. And he develops, for the first time probably in his life, any sort of connection with another human being. It's not just the crush. It's not just, you know, that he likes her and he falls in love with her. It's not that at all. This is the first human he has ever connected with. And then as he grows up, he sees her fall in love with someone else. And yes, that does break him. And yes, it is kind of neck beardy-ish. But the main thing is the one person who he had a connection with he then ruined. He destroyed that relationship through his own action. James is partially to blame, but he didn't help himself. He fell in with the wrong crowd, and they don't give a shit about him, but he loses Lily, who he does care about, the only person he has ever connected with one-on-one. Ever. Even to the end of his life, he never connects with another human being on a true, like, friendship level because he doesn't try he's completely obsessed with a dead woman even before that though he doesn't know literally the only reason he falls he finds lily is because he happens upon this playground he happens to find another person who has this thing that he has and he has the information he he still does not realize how to actually 
make human friends. He never learns it. How does that excuse him putting Harry through some of the greatest misery of his life, which is pretty impressive considering he was raised with the Dursleys for six years of education? How do you defend that? Besides being a dick to him, what does he do? Give me the specific example, because here's the thing. Is he a dick to Harry? Absolutely. But once again, he does not have friends. He doesn't know how to interact with other humans. He's been a teacher for years, dude. Like, you can't keep excusing people forever. Harry's not the only person he treats like that. Harry is is very specifically someone he fucking hates, dude. He confiscates a book from him. Listen, I'm not saying that he is without blame, but I'm also saying this is a person who never, he never learned those social things. And then he has this constant reminder of someone that he loved, the only person he ever had an emotional connection with. And that is taken from him and Dumbledore knows that. And Dumbledore knows that on some level, Snape knows that he has lived a life that is completely without point or merit. And he's going to give him something that he can do. And it's going to help the child of the only human being he's ever connected with. That's why he knows he can trust Snape. Okay. I have a lot of problems with this, and we're going to continue to investigate it. I know, Mary Clay, you have something to say. Yeah, just like a real quick thing. You were saying, like, name one other thing Snape does besides just being a general dick to Harry. He is also awful to all of the other students. Like, yeah, when, uh, in book four, in, in, when Hermione gets hit with some spell that makes her teeth growing, he is just Ugh. openly cruel to her. And is that like, is oh, very I don't see terrible. And there's one, I think it's in, the, maybe even in this book, where they're doing potions. And in order to, like, punish Neville, he says, oh, we're going to feed this to your toad afterwards. Because Snape thinks that Neville will have messed up his potion and it will kill Trevor. The difference is that he is now an adult. That is the thing. And that behavior is not an excuse. Okay, yes. I, but I agree that we have, we have seven more books where we can talk about why Snape is just the worst character ever and why he's not at all redeemed. But let's move on for the sake of this chapter. I would simply never allow him to teach at my school. Mary Clay, do you think he volunteered or do you think Dumbledore drafted him? <laughs> I thought he volunteered because I never considered that that Dumbledore would have made him do it. So since you brought that up, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Because this just seems like the most un-Snape thing. Do you think he's wearing striped referee robes? <laughs> oh, well. Has he seen sunlight ever in his life? Before Three this times. day? <laughs> Three times. He hated all of them. (laughs) Well, you also have to think about, okay, so at the last Quidditch match, something really scary happened, and Harry's broom went crazy, and you have to think, if they're like, Harry needs more protection at his next match, we should probably have a teacher referee the game. All the teachers are in the staff room talking to Dumbledore about this, and it's like, McGonagall just is like, no. Right? And then it's like, Professor Quirrell can't even get a word out because he's so nervous. Professor Flitwick is too small. We don't have a small broom for him. Professor Sprout, that's not her forte. She's really bad at counter jinxes. She's only good with IVs, various IVs from around the world. Like, you go through the staff list and, like, like, frankly, there's not a lot of incredibly skilled magic doers who also would be okay on a broomstick. (laughs) 
I think you're not giving Dumbledore enough credit, though, because he actually makes a very smart decision with what he does. Once again, I y'all might not agree with me, but throughout the series, my prevailing thought is when it comes to like the overarching most powerful wizards in this realm, in this world that we uh, love so much, the top three, and you can place them in different orders, but I think it's the top three, would be Dumbledore, Voldemort, and Snape. The top three what? Snape, the top three most competent wizards. Most competent um, magical people. I completely disagree that Snape's on that list. What? I think Ma- McGonagall is vastly outskills Snape. I was going to say, also, like, Flitwick is a known champion dueler, so I also feel, I feel like a lot of these, maybe not, like, the most competent, highest wizard ever, but, like, a lot of these, a lot of these teachers do have a lot more powers than I think we, we give them credit for. Snape is the only person who interacts with Voldemort time and time and time and time and time again and is strong enough of an oculumens that he can block him every single time. On top of that, he was a known, like, covert agent for both sides. Voldemort sent him to do things, and Dumbledore sent him to do things. He's incredibly powerful. He creates his own spells. He is a, he's a badass. Like, once again, I know a lot of people don't like him, but he is incredibly competent. Snape would have gone to Dumbledore and explained exactly what happened, or Dumbledore would have gone to him after that first match. And the reason is we will come to learn that Dumbledore trusts Snape literally to the death, inherently trusts him because of whether or not you agree with him, what he knows about his past. Dumbledore would have wanted Snape because he trusts him incredibly, but what, I mean, you're not going to put McGonagall or Flitwick on a broom. Dumbledore trusts Snape so through and through. He trusts him completely, 100%. No, I, I get it. Here's a question. I mean, you are completely right that Dumbledore trusts Snape very deeply. And Snape has been on to Quirrell for several chapters of this book already. And Snape is passing that information along to Dumbledore. Why is Quirrell still here? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. If he keeps actively trying to steal something, Dumbledore's just going to pretend like he doesn't know about it? I think Dumbledore's headspace on this is the stone is going to be closest when it's with me. I've set up all these other things with these incredibly talented teachers of mine. It's better to contain it than to try and send the stone somewhere else that you yourself and all of your, you know, most powerful friends are right there. That would be the place I'd want to keep it. Even if I, the guy that I know is going after it is there because I can watch him too. My question isn't, why are they keeping the stone there? My question is, why yeah. are they keeping Quirrell there? If you fire him, he becomes farther away from the Sorcerer's Stone, which he is obviously trying to gain access to. The only reasonable explanation I can make for that is that, like, at this point in the book, we just have to imagine Dumbledore as being, like, the funny caricature that we all love to make fun of him for, of Minerva being like, sir, we're endangering the children at this school. Do you not realize that? And he's like, oh, hush, hush, Minerva. Ten points to Griffin Puff. <laughs> like, we just have to imagine 
that at this point, maybe Snape like went to him and was like, hey, I don't think Quirrell's a good dude. And Dumbledore is like, what are you talking about? You don't know anything. You used to be a Death Eater. <laughs> 10 points to Gryffindor. My, my only theory is that Dumbledore and Snape know Quirrell has these sinister goals and doesn't know why and wants to, they want to understand why. Which is ultimately what happens. That's like the only thing I can come up with, but I still feel like that's a high risk with a low reward. The other thing you got to remember is the mirror of air said, because at this point, I think it's safe to assume that he has put the stone into the mirror or conjured it with the mirror, whatever he ended up doing. Because remember, Quarrel does get to the mirror, but Dumbledore knows that the only person who can access the stone, and it's going to be much later on is the person who wants to have the stone to have it, but not to use it. And if he knows that to be the case, then there's no danger in letting Quirrell stay there. He can just get in more information. It's true. We already know that Dumbledore thinks Voldemort's going to come back at some point. He doesn't think he's completely gone. And I could see him saying, well, I think there's a chance that this involves Voldemort, but I don't know for sure. So I'm going to keep Quirrell here so that I can watch him and I can see what's going on and try and figure out if that is the case. Now, if it isn't, we can take care of it. But if it is, then I would much rather know that we're at a point Voldemort is actively trying to come back instead of just licking his wounds. Yeah. Okay. So Harry's super sad because, well, Harry, you know, confided in Ron and Hermione that um, Sam's going to be refereeing the Quidditch match. And I forget who, oh, both of them don't play said Hermione at once. Say you're ill, said Ron. Pretend to break your leg, Hermione suggested. Really break your leg, Ron suggested. (laughs) Yeah. They really think Snape's trying to kill him, and they're worried about his actual life. Such such supportive friends. Also, I just, like, I mean, obviously, we have the hindsight that, like, we know Snape is quote-unquote good, and that this is Quirrell doing everything, but, like, at the same time, I'm like, really, guys? You really think this is all about Snape? Like, also, I mean, also, I know they're 11-year-olds where things are very, like, cut and dry. And it's like, oh, obviously, yeah. the guy who's trying to kill you is our teacher who doesn't like you for some reason. Yeah. But, like, it, it's just moments like these that just, like, make me laugh a little bit where they're, like... And and when they go to the Quidditch match later, too, where Hermione and Ron are, like, prepared to duel Snape, essentially. And it's like, come <laughs> on, guys. It's it's not Snape. Let's, let's put together our two brain cells here. It is definitely a really naive perspective that mean equals evil. I think from a more adult perspective, we know that usually they don't come together. Like a lot of the time, evil people are very charming. That's what we call a sociopath. We've all met one. And usually mean people are just dicks and they don't have an ulterior motive. You know, they're not trying to take over the world or kill all the mudblood. So yeah, you're right that it is definitely a, an 11-year-old perspective where they're just like, that guy's mean. He's probably doing it. But Harry decides, well, he doesn't decide anything. He's just kind of stewing on this a little bit, trying to figure out how to proceed. <laughs> um, and they're chilling in the common room, talking it over. And who hops in? Poor little Neville. Good old Neville Longbottom. <laughs> oh, hip- man. Hippity-hoppity. <laughs> Easter on kid. its way. Just kidding. That's Neville Longbottom. <laughs> 
since Haley's not here, I'll go ahead and say, oh, baby, like, little buddy. Oh, little buddy. Like, there's, okay. Anyone who has ever worked with clients and other humans, like, some people are so dumb you can't help them. I think we all know that person. You, the first person that you thought about when I said that, that's the person I'm talking about. That's that person. <laughs> and yeah. Neville Longbottom is also that person. To Rod and his credit, they really try and like cheer Neville up and give him a little boost of confidence where Harry's like, don't worry, Neville, you were, like, you're supposed to be in Gryffindor for a reason. And Ron does it in a way that like obviously has come from years of being like teased by his brothers where he's like, oh, come on, you have to stand. Like, when are you going to start standing up to him? You have to, you can't, you know, just let Malfoy walk all over you. But, like, in Ron language, that's also his way of being like, come on, Neville, you deserve better than that. And it's, like, a nice, sweet little moment of just showing, like, the camaraderie and friendship between all these characters. Yeah, so so Neville is hopping into the common room because Draco put the leg locker curse on him, the aptly named leg locker curse. And Hermione immediately undoes it, right? And then, and then yeah, the, the trio, the golden trio... Really, really, I was surprised, too, with the amount of encouragement that they give him. It is really sad because Neville's get he's getting really bullied in a way that Harry and Ron don't permit. You know, Malfoy gives them shit, but, but they don't really permit it to get that far. But Neville was just born a victim, you know, and, and Malfoy really capitalizes on that the same way that Snape does. And it's characters like Malfoy and Snape that give Slytherin a really bad rap. Like, I would love to just see some shining examples of Slytherins out there. Horace Slughorn is not enough to redeem the entire house. We need some better representation. We need diverse Slytherins. I'm really trying to think if there are any Slytherins in the entire canon that aren't shitty. It's just really sad the way that J.K. Rowling did, did that to this house. Mary Clay, what's your perspective as a Slytherin? So a lot of people don't consider it canon, which makes me upset because one of my favorite things about it, it being Cursed Child, is that it gives us two adorable little cinnamon rolls of Slytherins. It's Albus, uh, uh, James, uh, what, who, who are these characters? Albus Severus. Albus Severus. Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, is that Malfoy's son and Harry's son? Scorpius. Yeah, Scorpius. Yeah. And they are, and Scorpius, who is like direct Malfoy descendant, essentially, is very, he's kind of a Neville bit of a character. And they have like a very sweet friendship. And it's, it, they're two great Slytherin characters. And a lot of people are like, oh, Cursed Child doesn't count. I think it counts, but granted, I did not know that until you just told me that because I have just opted to abstain from the Cursed Child. My bar where I set for it is like, will I be entertained by it and will it bring me back to the Wizarding World? Yes. And that's why I enjoyed it. (laughs) I had my brother describe it to me. Yeah, it's pretty nonsense, but at the same time, I love it when stuff is just absolute nonsense. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> so I'm glad to know that there are some likable Slytherins. And, yeah. you know, something that I wonder about, you know, we we definitely meet 
Malfoy, Crab, Goyle, um, Pansy Parkinson, um, you know, and we meet a couple other random Slytherins. We meet like, oh my God, who's the Quidditch captain? Blaze Zambini, uh, Marcus Flint. Marcus Flint, we um, meet Blaze Zambini, but like, okay, with the exception of Marcus Flint, all the people I just listed are closely, like intimately affiliated with Malfoy. And I wonder if really Malfoy just kind of like poisoned like a whole generation of Slytherin students. The way I think of it is like, we really are only seeing into the Slytherin house from the perspective of like the most dramatic and outspoken students. One of my favorite things that has come out of the fandom is this comic called like Background Slytherin. And it's like the Slytherins who are just trying to like live their life while Draco is just running around being dramatic and being like, Potter, I'm calling my father about this. My father will hear. And, and they're just like, oh man, can you believe what Draco did today? Is that just so stupid? Anyway, how'd you do on your potions exam? I also think that's why like, we we have very face value ideas and perceptions of what like Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff is, is because we only see the people who stand out the most. So like, I don't know, Luna and Cho and Cedric and no one else. Well, uh, I was actually just about to use them as examples because I feel like Luna Lovegood is like the weirdest Ravenclaw. Like she, I love her. I always think I always like think she's a Hufflepuff. She values friendship in like a very intellectual. She's an intellectual, even if she's like crazy. And yeah. I, I think Cho Chang too. Kind of like <laughs> I don't know. She kind of does some dumb shit. Well, I think that what y'all we're talking about is a really good point too because the sorting hat while it does base where you go on certain traits just because you have a trait doesn't mean it's going to come out the same way so for every slytherin that's a power thirsty crazy conniving asshole you probably have like dale from hr who wanted to succeed and really planned it out and was meticulous and sought after their goals but their goals weren't domination. They were, I want to be in upper management. You know, like being a Slytherin is not inherently a bad thing. It's just the easily the most corruptible of the personality traits. I would argue that Gryffindor is the most corruptible. I don't know, man. I have like a, a pondering. I don't know. It, what I find really strange, maybe it's just me, is how Harry has just been walking around his pockets full of the chocolate frogs that he got for Christmas. And yeah. he's just like, oh, I'll save it for later. And he pulls it out and eats it. If, it. if I was walking around with my pockets full of candy, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'll save this for later. Like, I would be snacking on it constantly and it would be gone. So it just made me laugh a little bit when he was like, he pulled out the last of his chocolate frog in his pocket. And I'm like, how did he have that all throughout Quidditch practice and classes and stuff? <laughs> I completely agree. When I have candy, I eat it immediately. Um, you know, it's a matter of get it as far away as possible. But that's like kind of like a skinny boy thing, I think, to just like forget they have candy. Like Sean, he's not... I mean, I wouldn't call him, like, a skinny boy. He's my very buff and handsome fiancé. But, I mean, he, he can just sit on candy in a way that I can't. We get into fights in the grocery store because he's like, let's buy ice cream. And I'm like, do you want to watch me eat a pint of ice cream in one sitting? Because that's what you're doing right now. 
Like, that's what's going to happen. I just read a part in Lord of the Rings where Mary is being sad, and then it was like, all of a sudden, he remembered he was hungry. Same. Literally? <laughs> literally? That is so relatable. <laughs> I also like that Harry is keeping chocolate in his pockets. Um, like, would you keep chocolate there? Maybe it doesn't I melt. I wouldn't. Well, I think... I think what's going on is it's in his robes. And so I imagine that what is happening is Harry hasn't was like wearing the robes when at some point took it off and kind of like, I mean, I've left shit in the pocket of a hoodie and then you like pull the hoodie back on and you just like kind of put your hands by like, Oh, what you know, you pull out change or money or something chapstick. like that. For me, it's always chapstick and hair ties. Exactly. I would imagine a robe is basically like a wizard hoodie. Like, you know, you throw okay. it on before you go out. It's cold. You need to throw on your robe and you throw on your hoodie. Okay. That's fair. Maybe. That's a fair assessment. It is. It is also like a reminder that this is an 11 year old boy. Like, <laughs> okay. You know, an 11 year old, much like girls keep hair ties and chapstick in their pockets. Mm. 11 year old boys keep candy in their pockets but that's so true and also 28 year old girls keep candy in their pockets don't don't look <laughs> in my pockets don't look in my pockets christina has chocolate frogs in there harry pulls out this chocolate frog and gives the card to neville or maybe neville gives it to harry i can't remember and that sparks a memory because he remembers who was mentioned on the first chocolate frog card that he got, but one Mr. Nicholas Flamel. It's a little bit off topic, but I have to bring it up. Can we talk about the fact that Dumbledore's chocolate frog card has the ultimate unused Chekhov's gun of all time? It says, Dumbledore is particularly famous for his defeat of the dark wizard Grindelwald. It never comes back. Anything to do with the fact that Grindelwald fell the same year that Hitler fell. And that, I, maybe I'm crazy here, but there's no reason to pick 1945 unless you're going to go into some story about Dumbledore, Grindelwald, and Hitler. And it never happens. Wow. Have you seen the second Fantastic Beasts of Where to Find the movie? Because I think that's where she was like, this is where I'm going to bring in those parallels. I may not have, actually. There's no need to. Granted, the Fantastic Beast movie is, at least the second one, is pure nonsense. It's kind of like how I said with Cursed Child, where, like, it's absolute nonsense. So if you like, like, sometimes I like that. The second Fantastic Beast is even worse than that. But, like, that being said, they do start drawing these really interesting parallels of, like, Grindelwald recruiting people and the things that he does to recruit people and talking about like muggles and muggleborns and magic and stuff that like lines up pretty well with the like the magic timeline the magical world timeline it's starting you can see where it's starting to like coincide with the muggle timeline of like hitler and world war ii so here we are here we are Professor Dumbledore is particularly famous for his defeat of the dark wizard Grindelwald in 1945, for the discovery of the 12 uses of dragon's blood, and for his work on alchemy with his partner, Nicholas Flamel. I might be opening a whole can of worms here, and uh, I hope I'm not. 
I know. I'm warning you. I might be. Here's my thing. Nicholas Flamel is 600 and some years old, as said later on in the chapter. How is Dumbledore famous for his work on the Sorcerer's Stone with Flamel? Like, obviously, Flamel discovered that shit like 600 years ago. So what did Dumbledore, like, puzzle out with him? I, I, I'm honestly asking. I think Nicholas Flamel, obviously, since he's so old, had already discovered how to use the Sorcerer's Stone on his own. But it just, it says that Dumbledore is famous for his work on alchemy with Nicholas Flamel. So that could have been anything. It does, I don't think that Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel work together on the Sorcerer's Stone. They must have worked to, uh, together on some other amazing feat. And, uh, and like, that's why it's cool is because, oh, Nicola, he worked with Nicholas Flamel. Like, that's really impressive because Nicholas Flamel uses the Sorcerer's Stone and is a really powerful sorcerer. Well, and don't forget, you know, to wizards, this is science. And think about how long we've been working on physics. Somebody has to start it, and then somebody else picks it up, you know? So maybe Nicholas Fall started it, came up with, like, a shitty, shitty version of the Sorcerer's Stone, and then, like, was able to survive until 170 years ago, or whenever the fuck Dumbledore was born. And now they are working together to refine the Sorcerer's Stone and other alchemical um, stuff. Y'all didn't just hear me burp, did you? No. <laughs> okay, good. I was really worried because you like gave a really good response there. <laughs> so, okay, so then now Hermione suddenly remembers <laughs> that she also has read about Nicholas Flamel in... Um, oh, the, it Some doesn't book. even say the name of the book. Wow. Um, I just, okay. I think, it, oh, wait, it's, I know it's some, it does, uh, oh, wait, no, 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 never mind. They were talking about a book that they, oh, no wonder we couldn't find him in the study of recent yeah. development, developments and wizardry, because he's <laughs> not exactly recent. He is certainly not. So, this is one of those scenes that I have a really hard time separating from the movies, right? The way that Emma Watson gives him that. She's like, oh, check this out from the library for a bit of light reading. I would also like to point out that that is the scene that they use to screen test uh, Emma Watson, Daniel Radcliffe, and Rupert Grant. And it's just so, and you can like go, you can go and find the screen test that they did. That makes and me it's so happy. So so cute to see them like all coming together the casting people were literally like we need a bitch who can glare like you just interrupted the best book she's ever read and emma watson really just crushed it oh babies uh <laughs> so hermione does a bit of light reading um you know blah 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 sorcerer stone astonishing powers blah 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 it produces the elixir of life, which will make the drinker immortal. There have been many reports of the Sorcerer's Stone over the centuries, but the only stone currently in existence belongs to Mr. Nicholas Flamel, noted alchemist and opera lover. Just, you know, opera aside, Nicholas Flamel is doing a lot of stuff. I think it's interesting that they call it the Sorcerer's Stone or a little more intellectually, the Philosopher's Stone. But you can have more than one. So this is my The Sorcerer's Stone. Maybe it's like a sign of like 
how powerful Nicholas Flamel is that it's like he is the sorcerer. I do like that. I mean, well, okay. So, great. Wow, my transitions are terrible. I got a transition for you. Okay. This obviously was a huge revelation to have and a huge moment in the book. And it's followed by something very little that is easily skipped over that I only noticed for the first time on this rereading, which is the next part starts off the next morning in defense against the dark arts while copying down different ways of treating werewolf fights. And I think this is a good sign of JK Rowling early on in writing Harry Potter versus later on when she has to like carry this universe. And the reason I say that is in book three, it's very blatantly said that there is no cure for werewolf. Like there, it's not out there. You can take Mm -hmm. the wolf's bane potion, but you know, Lupin says that he was bit and there was nothing they could do. There was no, you you know, there wasn't even the wolf's bane potion. Wow. So it's interesting that, at this point, she's saying something because it's obviously just a throwaway line. It's just something that she threw in that's like, this is magical. They might be doing this. But it's something that later on we learn it, it couldn't happen unless you're talking about like basic first aid to any animal well, bite. That's like my instinct because it does say treating werewolf bites, not curing them. So like maybe it's just like these are owie. How do we make them less owie until the full moon when I go through an agonizing transformation? Man, imagine getting bit by a werewolf. Nightmare. The only other thing that happens in this very small section of maybe like 10 to 15 lines is Harry decides that he's going to play the Quidditch match. Woo! Now that we know who Nicholas Flamel is, thank God, we can finally just go play this Quidditch match in peace. Wait, just kidding, we can't because Snape is refereeing it. I really just can't stop picturing him in like a elementary school soccer referee yeah. outfit, like with like with like a like a hat and like a whistle and maybe like some shin guards. Definitely not on a broom. I can't picture him on a broom because, no. like, to me, flying and like being on a broom, it's like such a fun, whimsical thing. And Snape is just not those things at all. What about um, in The Wizard of Oz when the Wicked Witch is, like, in the tornado going past the window and it's, like, and it's, like, all in black and she has the hooked nose? That's what I'm imagining. I'm here to referee your Quidditch match. There's an interesting line that just knowing what we know now, I really thought was kind of cool. Uh, perhaps that was why Snape was looking so angry as the teams marched onto the field, something that Ron noticed too. And they think that it, he's angry because with Dumbledore there, he can't get away with anything. Knowing what we know now in the future, the reason he looks so angry is because not only does he have to do this thing probably against his will, but he's got to look out for anyone. And he probably thinks that it's Quirrell, but how do you keep an eye on Quirrell while also roughing the match? And I think that what we're really seeing is Snape looks so pissed off because he's been given an incredibly difficult task. He's, he's pretty stressed right now. Like he knows this dumb kid that he absolutely despises, but he has to look after is at danger. And not only does he have to go out of his way to help him, but he's got to do it in a way that's not exactly easy. So we have two storylines going on right now. One is the Quidditch match and the other one is, um, 
the stands where Malfoy and Crabbe and Goyle are seated near Ron, Hermione, and Neville um, for no fucking reason. I would not sit next to someone I hated, especially at a sporting event, but they, they sit next to each other and immediately start fighting, right? Because Neville is still hot from that leg locker curse, and then Malfoy says some shit about the Weasley family, and everyone's really pissed, and they start fighting. I think Malfoy and all of his friends, like, I think the Gryffindors were already sitting there, and then Malfoy and his friends were like, oh, we're going to go fuck with them, and they went and sat behind them. So I don't, I don't think that they were all like, oh, we're walking into stands together, we're going to sit down and watch this match. I think <laughs> Malfoy and, and everyone were like, we're going to go bully them because we're awful people. They're instigators. And you know what? To his credit, Neville jumps into that fight right away right so like ron's throwing punches and neville after just a split second hesitation is like i'm getting in there when ron starts swinging neville jumps right in and that is true courage that is these are my friends this is my house i don't care that i am obviously incredibly overmatched in this fight i will take that ass whooping because i care about my friends and what Neville does here, ironically, in the same chapter where he says, I'm not worth, you know, why am I a Gryffindor? I don't belong here. You don't have to tell me it. He shows beyond the shadow of a doubt why he belongs in that house. Those are his friends, and he is going to jump into that. He is going to fight the two biggest, brutish guys in the whole damn school because he's a fucking Gryffindor. Yeah. Go, Neville. It's the first cool thing he does in the whole series so i mean do you guys have anything else left to say about the quidditch match it pretty much speaks for itself they get in a fight hermione standing on the seat ignoring the ruckus which is pretty hermione and harry catches the snitch almost immediately so like good good for you harry i like how there's no doubt now that harry is a skilled quidditch seeker and a skilled player and that he got on the team because of his skill there's no doubt in anyone's minds now especially like Malfoy there's no doubt that like he's a he's a good quidditch player the quidditch match ends right away and you know Harry just can't he just can't stick with the group and go back to the castle he's on his own and he's milling about and who does he see Snape and Quirrell wait Snape it was Snape. Wait. Snape. It just Snape. He just sees Snape. <laughs> yeah, he just sees Snape. He just sees Snape and he follows him. Like, would you, like, what would you guys do in this minute if you, like, suspected a teacher at your boarding school of wrongdoing and you saw them sneaking off on their own? Like, would you follow them or would you just mind your own fucking business and go back to your bed? I'd be an idiot and follow them. I'd be like, I'm going to solve this case. You are such a Gryffindor, yo. Don't at me about your Ravenclaw shit. Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, hmm, that seems suspicious. But also, like, there's a party back in the common room, so I'm just going to go to that. I don't think I would have seen him, dude. I just made the most badass Quidditch move in the history of this school. And, the, yeah, there's a party waiting for me. Like, I'm not paying attention to anything except my own glory and like like I'm definitely not in this kind of a situation there's no point in which I am without friends like 
I go to the changing room with friends and I'm walking back to the castle with friends and I'm partying. Like there's no part of that where I'm just like alone wondering what I should do next. It's, it's very interesting because the way that it's written is actually pretty well done because at the same time, multiple things are going on. Snape is directly addressing Quirrell about the fact that he knows that he's going for the stone. At the same time, when Harry comes into the conversation, it reads as though he's trying to get the stone himself. A third level of it, though, is knowing that Snape is suspicious of Quirrell, has no interest of it himself, and wants to know how far Quirrell's getting. And then to wrap it all up in a lot of really confusing but equally readable takes is that Harry is misinterpreting the way that Snape is saying what he's saying. And it's taken in such a way that it still makes Snape look like the bad guy. And the question that isn't addressed here that is really interesting is, did, did Snape at any point, do you think, mention Voldemort to Quirrell? Do you think he laid that card on the table or do you think he's still treating Quirrell in such a way like you're trying to get this stone for yourself and I know this and I'm going to bully you because it, reading it again, the way that he addresses it, it really does, at least I know I could fill in the gaps to Snape basically being like, I'm a servant of Voldemort as well. I'm better than you. Let me help you. I think that that is definitely the angle Snape's trying to take. Like, we're in this together and you're sucking at it. Well, and the reason that's interesting is because how conscious is Voldemort during that? That's a question that we've raised in previous episodes. Is Voldemort always a perfectly cognizant thinking face attached to Quirrell's literal skull? Or does he go dormant sometimes? How aware is he? One of my favorite interpretations of this and the best interpretation of this is in a very Potter musical. Like he takes his turban off and reveals that Quirrell is, I mean, that Voldemort is to the back of his head for the first time and like, Ooh, surprise. But, and Voldemort goes like, yes, Quirrell, I see and hear everything you see and hear. And it's just like such a funny interpretation that like Voldemort is seeing and hearing everything that Quirrell is doing. Quirrell literally can't <laughs> masturbate during this time period. I don't think he does that at all because he's such a nervous person. He probably thinks that, like, God is watching him and it's and he's, like, going to hell every time he touches himself. He used to think it was now God, just, but now he knows it's Voldemort. I think the way that I look at this is that because we know that Quirrell needs to get the unicorn blood to keep Voldemort strong, to sustain that life. I've always looked at it as that Voldemort is there, but he takes a lot of effort and a lot of, uh, it's very strenuous on him to try and be present. It, it's, it's an manifest. exertion for him to be, exactly, to, to actually be there. I think that the spirit or the soul or the bit of, soul whatever i think soul is giving him a little too much credit yeah i think that the bit of spirit of voldemort that quirrell has is always present but as far as how perceptive voldemort is of the world around him i think that takes focus by both quirrell and voldemort they both have to like 
focus on that connection to bring it about. And the reason that I think that is because when Snape is talking to Quirrell, it really reads as though he's invoking Voldemort in this, but it also seems as though later on Voldemort doesn't know that Snape was there, or at least doesn't know the extent of his actions, because otherwise he would know that Snape had turned against him. And later on in the books, it's very pivotal to know that Voldemort trusts Snape. It's very so, complicated. The The whole nature of like, wh- like where is Snape and like, where does it look like his loyalties lie is very complicated because his claim is while you were dormant, my Lord, you know, I was at my post at Hogwarts waiting for you to return so that you would have that in when you needed it. So, you know, serving Dumbledore to protect the Sorcerer's Stone from Quirrell as an entity unrelated to Voldemort, you know, would be part of that act. It's, it's complicated. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So does anyone have anything else to say about this, like, Woodland Rendezvous? Mostly just how, like, it didn't occur to me until this chapter where Harry's like, oh, I see Snape off into the distance. I'm going to I'm gonna fly around on my broom. Where I was like, why don't they just fucking fly around on their brooms all the fucking time? Because that's exactly what I would do. How Harry oh, yeah. is like hovering over the woods and goes into a chair. Like, I would just do that all the time. Like, why do you ever put your broom away? Like, why oh, would you bother walking? You live in a tower. Like, keep that broom with you. <laughs> I think, actually... I think that, like, happens sort of when Fred and George pass their apparition test, how they just, like, apparate everywhere, and I'm just like, same. I, like, <laughs> yeah, same. That's exactly, you're using your magic correctly. <laughs> On a slightly different note, this scene has always felt a little out of place to me. It seems like something that J.K. Rowling wanted to be in there that Harry happens upon this conversation. But... Honestly, it, it's always felt kind of forced in. It doesn't feel like Harry's definitely the type of person who would go off and follow someone. But the whole setup of like him coming back after the match that they all won, there's all these other people on the Quidditch team. It seems kind of hammer-fisted in that he happened to see Snape leaving the castle. No one else happened to see him. He then happened to follow him. Snape had no idea that he followed him. He followed him through the Forbidden Forest watching Snape go in, found where Quirrell and Snape were. It happened to be a clearing. They didn't have, like I said, it's just, it's a lot of things that seem like they're things that people would do, but that it was kind of rough the way it was presented. Does that make sense? Yeah. Rough, not like, oh, do thou so rough, but like a little rough, like a rough draft. Yeah. So... He goes back to the common room and they're like, we're going to fucking party. We got some fucking muffins from the kitchens. And Harry's like, rage. Harry's like, literally, I can't with this right now. I have to tell you guys something. Snape is evil. Just like I always suspected. Once again, just being like, oh my God, guys, Snape is definitely the one behind all this. Can you believe? Yeah. Which, it's kind of like, like um, it, it kind of reads like there, there's a story about, I think it was, uh, um, oh shit, it was Cato. Cato the Elder in ancient Rome 
finished it was supposed to have finished every speech that he gave at the senate by ending it carthage must be destroyed and this is kind of the start to harry doing that with snape <laughs> every speech that harry gives from now on throughout the end of the books up until the very end kind of ends with and snape is evil and must be taken down it's like the beginning of that where every little thing is like this happened and snape is evil any last words about about this chapter specifically? Anything we didn't touch on? I really enjoy this chapter, but it's very short. It's definitely just an exposition dump. It's foreshadowing and story, and it's this is information I have to get to you. This is the best way I can package it. And it's very short and sweet, but it's full of stuff. And so I can kind of get why the illustrated version wouldn't have like an extensive amount because no single page is about the same part i mean maybe like yeah. one whole page of your version is on quidditch but beyond that it, it bounces around a lot because it's really setting up the stages for the final act of the first book yeah you know that seems like a great place to end this podcast real quick i like to do some listener shout out this one is from Emily on Instagram. Um, Emily says, Hi, I've been loving this podcast since day one. I felt the need to reach out for once regarding there's no witch or wizard that's gone bad who wasn't in Slytherin. Did they all forget about Sirius Black? I mean, we know he's not bad. And Peter Pettigrew is actually the bad one, also a Gryffindor. But as far as Hagrid knows, Sirius is a bad wizard slash Death Eater who is definitely not in Slytherin. And Hagrid's the one who said that. That was my interjection. That's something that's bugged me since I was a kid that I'm pretty sure was just J.K. Rowling forgetfulness error. Anyway, keep it up. I look forward to your podcast every week. Thank you so much, Emily. We're glad you listen. We're glad you sent us a message on Instagram. As a reminder, we're on Instagram and Twitter. We also have an email address, restrictedsectionpod at gmail.com. We love getting your feedback. We read all of the emails and messages you send us. And we also read every review we get. So definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts um, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We read them all and you, we might even read one on the show. And then you can be famous like us, guys. Thank you, Emily. Thank, Thank you, you, Emily. Um, That's a really good point, too. What it is? That Sirius Black was considered to... <laughs> yeah. The point yes. that Emily made, yes, Emily's point was a really good point. No, you're right. Emily's point was a great point. That's why I read it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to read the dumb ones. I'm only going to read the good ones. So, good you call, Emily. just said we'll read all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well... All right, I'll edit this so it sounds less stupid. We'll read the dumb ones and we'll make you sound smart. We'll read the smart ones and you already made yourself sound smart, so good job. <laughs> Are you guys ready to do some plugs? Yes. So I actually, my plug comes to me via my new good friend, Mary Clay. Oh. Many, many weeks ago, Mary Clay made a plug that I went back and for the first time actually uh, started on a certain series. Any guesses as to what I'm talking about, Mary Clay? Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's it? Andrew, That's it. You fuck it. you. My plug was going to be Brooklyn Nine-Nine because I started watching it this week. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm I so just glad. started watching oh it because God, of you. I've got you. I've wait, got, wait, it's okay. Christina. I will also plug Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I need to know, though. Christina, honest answer. 
Did you start watching it because so many people had told you and then Mary Clay had said something weeks ago? Is that why you knew exactly what I was talking about? Yes, yes. That is so damn funny. (laughs) It's legitimately one of my favorite shows. So I'm glad you guys are both watching. It's very funny. Okay. That is so funny. Well, that's both of our plugs. All right, great. Well, so I'm Christina. You can follow me on Instagram at Ya Girl of the World. You can follow me on Twitter at Girl of the World. The word the doesn't have an E in it. It's really stupid. I need to change it. And yeah, I've been watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine a lot lately. <laughs> and my fiance and I are very into it. And fuck you, Andrew, for usurping <coughs> my plug. I'm going to say that again because you cough. Fuck you, Andrew, for usurping my plug. You can listen to my podcast as always. I'm finally on Return of the King. It's a very exciting time. That's to- that's what I'm talking about uh, wherever you get podcasts every Tuesday. And then I'm like five years late to the game. But y'all, The Great British Bake Off is a great show. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying it. And um, uh, it's it's just great. Uh, this past weekend, I went to see my parents really, bri- really briefly. We just like hung out on their patio. So it was all socially distant and kosher. Um, and I was like, oh, I brought you guys something. And my mom was like, oh, I have something for you too. And I go, wait, wait. And we both pull out banana bread because we had both made each other banana bread. <laughs> That's amazing. So, um, you know, <laughs> on I don't, that note, I don't know. I did a really creative. Say like, get the fuck off my Zoom call. Okay, all right, that's a good one. I'm gonna crop you out. Fuck off it my Zoom like, channel. It seems like it was my idea. Hey okay. guys, um, hey guys, um, uh, get the fuck off my Zoom channel. It's called a meeting, though. I don't know how to say <laughs> that. Right? Wow, you. I gave you the exact words, and you still messed it up. Um, just like, hey guys, just like get 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 out. And but stay, wait, stay inside though, because that because we're because we're in the plague, and and you should probably stay inside. Yeah, I don't like that my um my signature sign off doesn't apply anymore. It's making my life pretty hard. I mean, Mary Clay did give you like the perfect conversion get the fuck off my zoom chat oh chat you said chat i heard channel and then i said channel and i was like that word's not right at all um just in case i want to use this later get the fuck off my zoom call we'll see what you still didn't say chat i know but it's a call though you know all right bye everyone The Restricted Section was created and hosted by me, Christina Kahn, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. All music by Ryan Kahn. Logo by Michael Hardison. Technical support from Sean Watson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at RestrictedSectionPod or shoot us an email at RestrictedSectionPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or lavish praise. My favorite chapter in the entire seven book series, I've said this before, I'll say it again, is when Harry Potter and Cho Chang go on their Valentine's <laughs> Day date at Madame Puttyfoot's. It's so good. And it's I can't so wait funny. to get there. It's so funny. It's He's so, so dumb. Good. How?
how JK Rowling is able to like perfectly encapsulate like an awkward middle school date almost. Yeah. Know? She like she's like, okay, these people need to start hooking up because I need to start resolving this series. She start, she really eases her readers into the world of dating by starting it off really weird and awkward, so it's like a joke. And then it's like, okay, well, that was hilarious. Show us something real. And then she's like, okay, well, what about these people falling in love? And then we're like, yeah, snogging. 